Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Welcome back to the Grace Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you have joined us. Uh, We are going to discuss with John Rokey uh, here uh, this morning, this afternoon, whenever it is for you. Um, But I'm joined by John Rokey here in studio, as well as Pastor Brandon and Pastor Steve here. So if you have not listened to the first session, you are going to want to uh, listen to that, partly because it will... Uh, help you be informed on uh, our discussion here. We're going to do a little question and response time. But um, also, just because uh, I was extremely blessed by that that first session, and I am confident that you will be blessed by that one as well. So, uh, John, thank you for uh, giving us a authentic mm. and deep look into Psalm 23. And um, and so let's, yeah, yeah. let's spend some well. time going through it. I'm glad to be here. It's still, I'm still, I find myself learning still from it, and and still just being impacted by the understanding of it. And it is really personal. It's a fascinating thing, you know. If you actually go through the psalm and circle, um, th- so it's all about the shepherd. The psalm is all about the shepherd. We talked about that, mm-hmm. but it's also all about the sheep. If you go back and circle the personal pronouns that David mm-hmm. uses, me and my. There's 19 of them in six verses. Mm. And so our first thought when we read the psalm is, it is all about me. Yeah. But it's all about me precisely because it's all about him. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and when we understand who a shepherd is, those three characteristics, that, that, his, that second one, that his prime motivation is our welfare and our, be, our well-being, well, then that's why we understand that it's about us. Mm. But in the end, it's about him. And so it's a fascinating thing, and it just continues to work on me and, and teach me. Yeah, so typically we, we spend a, a good deal amount of time on the, the background of why you chose this or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, and I do think it's helpful to maybe start there, but let's not spend too much time there because I want to I wanna really dive uh, yeah. Keep diving into this passage, but but maybe a little background info before we. Yeah, it was it it was very personal for me several years ago, six seven years ago, when I was going through a, a long valley, a deep valley, one of those darkest valleys. Um, it had a lot to do with um, uh, our family business and some conditions that were leading towards the loss of that, and then ultimately coming to uh, Peoria Rescue Ministries and all those kind of things. And God was doing that. God was. We said one of the things in this passage, when it gets to that uh, section that he's my guide, that we realize that God will move us, and he will do that. He will use a lot of circumstances, a lot of different episodes and, and ways to get us where he wants us to go for our welfare. And, you know, it's, I say this, um, the, the Great Commission was not... Um, 
come sit in your easy chair and I will bring them to you, you know, but it was go. And so this idea of following and, and the idea of a shepherd and a sheep's relationship is about movement um, constantly. Uh, that's how the sheep uh, thrived and, 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 and really prospered. They had to be moved constantly, continually. That takes following. And so for me, he was doing that. He was, you know, shaking the tent pegs in a, in a profound way, and, and this psalm became so meaningful because I finally understood that that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it was leading me to what David found in verse 1, that I could find my ultimate joy and satisfaction in him and him alone. So then wherever he led me, it didn't matter then. <laughs> Whatever happened, it didn't matter because my satisfaction was met in the shepherd himself. I'll just jump in there because I had a question that, that maybe just kind of plays on that a little bit. So in, in verse 6, and I don't want to get too far ahead already, but, but in verse 6, you know, David writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that seems like, you know, as David follows the Lord as his shepherd, um, goodness and mercy will follow him. Well, at first glance, goodness and mercy didn't always maybe follow David mm. all of his life. He died with a kingdom heading towards division and a house just in ruins. So maybe, maybe could you speak to how we understand goodness and mercy following us? Because yeah. I think you were hitting on that as you talked about some of those deep, dark valleys and yet goodness yeah. and mercy following. Yeah, um, you know, a, a, an illustration I, I think of often um, that I heard from somebody was like, you know, we love, um, especially when all our kids lived around here, um, but at the holidays still when they come back, and we love having our big family, 18 of us, come back together. But I'm going to tell you, when they leave, the house is like, what in the world happened? You know, we're two of us, and we keep our house pretty, you know, tidy and those kind of things. But man, after eighteen little ones, you know, big ones and little ones come, it's it's crazy. And so, what do we do? We come after them, and we pick up the pieces. And that was a great illustration for me of understanding. That's what God does in our lives. So, this goodness and mercy, and and notice that it says His goodness and mercy. It. And, and he can't stop doing that. It goes back to what we said about who God is at the beginning. He is so obligated by himself that he can't help but bring behind us, coming behind us. And so I think what David realized was, yeah, I make a mess of things often, and yet here he comes. I, I look behind me, and he's always brought mercy. He's always brought kindness. And so yeah, even in the you know the situation with Absalom, you know, think about that. You know, David had to just his heart was like completely broken because he knew he caused what happened um, through all of his you know sin and 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 inaction and all the things that that that, that brought Absalom to rebel against him. And yet, in the end, you know, David could always sit back and say, you, you know, you protected me through that, you guided me through that, you protected the kingdom, you did, you kept picking up all the pieces behind me. So that's the mm. picture that I see there. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's awesome. So you talk about the the backdrop or the the that it's uh instead of that promise being just being a future looking or forward looking thing, but mm. the that we look can we look back and see 
Right. I, I think that that's because um, I think David, it, it, most people think David uh, wrote this at the end of his life, that, that it, it has such reflection and such mm-hmm. um, understanding, and, and there's a, probably a good argument for that. And and when I say that, you know, the two profound truths, when David shifts in verse 6 to this language of promise, you can see he moves from mm-hmm. uh, present tense to future tense. So he's talking about what's going to happen in the future. And and what I think is interesting is he um, he has he comes to this realization, like I say, that he has no idea what's going to happen. I, I say this: Do you think he? Do you think David ever thought that he would be a giant killer, growing up as the runt of a family, you know, in Bethlehem? Do you think he ever thought he would have been king, and that he would of all kings? established the kingdom farther geographically than anyone else and and finally put all their enemies to rest. So he hmm. experienced all that uh, victory. But do you think he would have ever expected to be an adulterer? Hmm. Do you think he would have ever, ever expected that he would have committed murder, that he would be an inept father? I mean, I, I, don't, I think he has come to learn that he can't... Ex, ex, understand or know what what is going to happen in the future. So but what he knew without a shadow of a doubt was where God would be when it did. So mm. that's this understanding for us that we don't have to worry about the future. There's no worrying about that or this angst of what's going to happen. Again, for me, I was facing, you know, the demise of a family business and I was like, ah, this could mean personal bankruptcy. This could mean I don't know what it meant, you know. But I didn't have to worry about what was going to happen because I knew who was with me when it does. And he's coming behind me, not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with mercy and goodness. Yeah, so I want to get into this illustration um, with with the shepherd and the sheep kind of thing. And you're talking about that he, he's coming behind me or he's going to be with me. And, and we can think about just the, as we apply it to ourselves, we can think about um, that God is going to be with me through whatever trial, and, and that that is a source of great comfort. However, is there a you you brought this idea to mind that our movement is a good thing, or hmm. the sheep's movement? It they don't they're going to kill themselves with comfort, and yeah. um, that that was a real uh, challenge to me in, in just thinking about my own life, and so. So can you speak towards not just the future blessing or the eternal blessing of of movement, but even the right here and now that God is using these trials for our good? Yeah, is that true, or is that oh, does that I, illustration no. yeah. apply? Absolutely. Verse six, or, or we go back and in, now into verse three and four. This idea of guidance and movement, mm-hmm. and um, of course, Philip Keller's has a classic book. Uh, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, and it's—I would recommend it. It's, it's a classic on this, and 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 he brings a lot of insight because he was a shepherd, and and he would, and in this section, he really helps us understand that uh, sheep can't manage themselves. If if a, if a cow or a horse goes out and pasture, they don't they don't ruin the pasture, but a sheep will. A sheep will eat the grass, then paw out the roots and eat the roots. And mm. so they, they ruin a pasture. So that's why they have to be constantly moved on a, a daily basis, literally, from pasture to pasture. But then they also have to go through the migration, and, and often sheep are moved 
hundreds of miles. Um, when Jacob um, sent out Joseph to check on his brothers, by the way, not his best idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, when you look at the geography of that, they were hundreds of miles away from home. They, they had traveled with the sheep. Of course, back then there were farms and fences and those kind of things. So you took the sheep wherever you needed to. Um, but it was, it was vital that they were moved. But so that picture is, is that David is, is picturing for us in verses three and four is that that movement may be long, far, wide, but it'll always be right. And it'll be right because it's for the shepherd's honor and glory. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he will take us where he wants to. And then um, we can understand this idea that the valleys that you were kind of alluding to are still the right path. Um, we can see it one, for one thing. Joseph is another good example of that, right? At the end of all that he went through, being sold into slavery by his brothers and having to live in a foreign land, being thrown into prison unjustly, all those kind of things. At the end, he had the perspective, Genesis 50, you can go look at it, where he said, this was exactly the right path that God had for me. I know, I know you might have meant it, my brothers, for harm for me, but God meant it for good, not only for me, but for everyone. So God can orchestrate this movement and these paths to be the correct outcome, the right path, because, and, and again, that, that includes the valley, and here's, here's why. I want to talk a little bit about why the valleys are actually the right path, and they're worth it. Um, so you can see that um, in two ways. You can see it both grammatically um, and metaphorically. So First of all, grammatically, uh, verse 4 is tied completely to verse 3. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And instead of what we used to, we used to say, yay, though I walk through the valley. By the way, it's not like, yay, I, I get to walk through the valley. But it's a connector word. It's, it simply means even if. So, so think about it, pair that together. Uh, he leads me on right paths for his sake, name's sake, even if. Those paths are through the valley. So, so grammatically, we see that connection. But also metaphorically, it's true as well. The valleys is what the shepherd had to use to get the sheep from low ground to high ground. And, and we see it today. Engineers use the same methodology. You don't run a railroad straight up a mountain. You don't run a road straight. You use the valleys. You use the natural contours. And so... So the valleys are actually part of how a shepherd leads, and, and it's, 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 so it's the right path from that standpoint. So the valleys are still the right path. And then when we talk about them being worth it, um, this is a really, really important thing that I had to learn. Um, the valleys change our relationship with the shepherd forever in a really profound way. And again, we'll see it grammatically. Did, did you guys notice the language, sh language shift here? There's, a, there's an important language shift. Up to now, David has been talking about the shepherd in, what, the third person, right? He, he, he. Yep. But when he's in the valley, mm -hmm. 
it becomes second person. It's you yeah. are yeah. right here with me. And that's a powerful language shift. It really helps him understand that this is, now it's personal. I'm, I'm in the valley, and, and David can't do anything but cry out to, to you, to the shepherd. And so I say in the valleys, before the valleys, you learn about God. In the valleys, you learn who God is. You, you learn to trust him in a whole new way. And again, metaphorically for the sheep, that's exactly the same thing. When they go through that migration uh, period, so when they're, they might be at home, often even today in, in, in big sheep uh, countries and those kind of things, you have two homes. You have the summer home and you have the winter home. And it's the high ground and the low ground. And on that migration between the two, that is when the shepherd is with the sheep 24-7. And in fact, just the, that intimate relationship is really built, especially with the new lambs that are coming on. And so that idea of, you know, the, the, your relationship with the shepherd will never be the same as mm. when you go through a valley. Mm. Um, and so th- those are, the valleys are the right path, because he tells us they're going to be, but they're worth it, mm. and and they might be really hard, <laughs> um, but they're worth it because we come out of that with a new sense of who our shepherd is. We trust him like never before, um, and so it's it's worth it. Yeah, that's that is such a <clears throat> I don't know encouragement and challenge to be thinking, yeah, I'm getting this picture, you know, just going through the valley with, you know, sheep and a shepherd, and you better stay tight to the shepherd because there's legitimate danger. Yeah, absolutely. You have to stay tight. Yeah, you don't know. It's that whole picture, and that's why I say it's it's been uh, translated as the valley of the shadow of death, but really all it means is you you would picture a wadi, if you know what a wadi is in the... Nope. Um, so in the... <laughs> what is a wadi, John? <laughs> Teach us. Yeah. Uh, it's not what they did to you, you know, in the, in when they pulled your... <laughs> that's a wedgie. <laughs> oh, yes, that's a wedgie. Okay. No, a wadi is is in the topography of... Do they um, have an atomic wadi? Or... <laughs> oh, I'm not my. sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> Had to go there. <laughs> While we're here... He, yes, right. He's actually trying to explain something to us here. <laughs> Um, a wadi is just simply, in essence, a dry creek bed, or or, okay. or how mm-hmm. in 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 the mountainous region, arid especially, um, those were cut really deep. Um, so the elevation from the top to the bottom, and so you had to follow that. In fact, they're somewhat dangerous because if if you didn't make it through it during the dry season, mm. um, you know you could have a flash flood and all those kind of things. So that's the picture here: is a wadi with very tight canyon walls. Mm. Now think of the Grand Canyon at its tightest point, maybe not that high, but that kind of thing where where literally the shadows fall because you the, the sun can't get there. And so you can't see where you're going, and so we have to rely on the shepherd in those valleys to be able to to not fear. And fear is the is what we are mostly motivated by. Um, and so David here says, I, "I don't have to fear." And why? Because you're with me. That's enough. That's all I need. And then that, that idea of um, the. Uh, uh, Ra and your staff, they protect and comfort me. I, I talk about that as being just um, his agency. His presence is what 
mostly calms his fears, but then his protection, that's what the rod and the staff sort of uh, are the protection that come around that we can have confidence in. Yeah, so many things that you're talking about just remind me of one of my favorite verses from Genesis 18 when Abraham asked just the rhetorical question, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And just that question is just enough to just remind you that we are <laughs> invited to trust this yes. God as our shepherd. Yeah. So that's so, so good. You know, Brad, um, when he was doing child dedication last week, was talking about how we we come to faith. And I thought, that that is really true. He's talking about mm-hmm. little ones. But then it just hit me at the same time. We also live by faith. And so it's not that we trust him and that that's the end to, to begin our salvation. It's mm-hmm. that we continue to trust him. And that's mm-hmm. what this is all about. This is That's why I say it's a way of life of really understanding and admitting and embracing that I'm a sheep. I desperately need a shepherd. Yeah, you you called uh, that phrase in verse 1, I shall not want, you called that the hinge of the psalm. Mm. Would you expound on that just a little bit? I mean, I love that I love that imagery, so it makes me think of a door hinge. Yeah. And so could you maybe just talk, work that out just a little bit? Yeah, again, one of the things we said is that we often um, think that that phrase sort of is pointing to what comes after it and... and and what is the benefits of being a sheep under the shepherd's care, that he does provide for us, that he does guide, and those kind of... But it's really, it, it, it is following the very first word or very first phrase and saying that my satisfaction, everything I need and everything I could ever want is found within the shepherd the fact that he's the god of the universe. And so that's it 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 changed my whole thought process when I realized it's not about what he does for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean and that, and that's what we we often in America in particular in the American church I think we we want to bolt on God. He's an afterpart, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> our car is our life. And we've we, but you know it'd be nice to have a, a an afterpart that protects it a little more an insurance policy or whatever you want to call that, an add-on. And he says, I'm not interested in that. Um, I'm like the shepherd and I'm the God of the universe and you're the sheep and you need me. Um, it's, It's Job's understanding, right? Though you slay me, I will trust you. <laughs> when you. When that becomes our... Our understanding, man, it, it really and it, like I said, we said it's a, it's a, it's a statement of submission. It's a statement of, of surrender, but at the same time, it's a statement of satisfaction and sufficiency. I, what else could I need? <laughs> I, I, I don't need what I thought I needed. That's that's mm. the realization of it. He's the prize. Yes, exactly. Yeah, hmm. that's. It's not what he provides for us. It's him himself. Yeah, yeah. The shepherd himself. So maybe we could continue to just walk in that shepherd uh, metaphor in a, maybe even more depth yeah. than we have. You know, um, I've said this, and I'll, I, I make this argument when we go through this deeper, is that I, I think the shepherd metaphor might be God's favorite metaphor for who he is. And, hmm. um, 
you'd have to say the fa- father is probably the almost the ubiquitous one that that I have, but that's almost a it's not a, almost a metaphor as much as it is a, an actual reality of who he is and, and who he is. But the shepherd is one of his favorites for sure, and and we could trace that all the way back. Um, and he loves um, shepherding and shepherd. You know, he had he had to put Moses through forty years of shepherd school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to say it. <laughs> and and you think about the patriarchs; they were all shepherding kind of people. And there's a reason for that. Shepherding is so um, so condescending and so picturing of of the nearness of what it takes, and yet the grandeur of what it takes to actually manage a flock. And so. It's a pretty amazing thing, but I'll just I want us to go to one passage that that helps us understand, and 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 actually change the way I thought about this shepherd. Because uh, if you're like me, I always looked at the Lord as my shepherd in generic God terms, right? Yeah, God is my shepherd, mm-hmm. but there's something more going on there. So um, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God. Um, uses, um, again, the metaphor of the shepherd is often what he uses for kings and leaders, right? And and that is something how he describes things. And so in, in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, um, God is indicting the shepherds of Israel. He is telling them of how bad a shepherding job they have done. And, and that's mostly the illustration of the ancient kings of Israel. They, they did a bad job of shepherding. But then he comes to verse 11, and this is what he says. He says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the Sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who have strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. And he goes on to uh, talk more about how they haven't done the right thing. But then um, he says this, um, when it is really amazing. He goes on in verse 22. And he says this, So I will rescue my flock, and they will no longer be abused. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and will be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, if you understand your Bible history, right, there's a little problem here, or they're on the apparent problem, right? This is Ezekiel writing. David is dead about 400 years at this point, so he's not talking about David, right? He is talking about the coming David, the one David, the real David, the ultimate David. The shoot coming forth out of the stump of Jesse. Exactly. And so 
when we get to John 10 <laughs> and Jesus talks about uh, this idea of the shepherd, and, and I don't know that we have time to delve all into this, but John 10 comes out of John 9. Well, that's kind of <laughs> really profound right there, wasn't it? But Does 11 come out of 10? <laughs> I'm but, sorry. Yeah, no, it's just true. <laughs> But remember what was happening in 9, it's the whole story of the blind man who is healed, and so it's all this ruckus about who Jesus is, and who are you, and how, how can you do this? And he answers them with the shepherd story, and he begins to talk about himself being the shepherd, and if you look at the 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 all the different ways remember early uh, when, in our first segment we talked about the three characteristics of a shepherd that a shepherd takes total responsibility for the sheep because he has to that a shepherd's highest motivation is the welfare of the sheep their abundance and then that a shepherd uh, develops a personal intimate relationship with him just read that read John 10 with that overlay in mind of who a shepherd is It'll blow you away. And and then what you also realize in John 10 is that Jesus makes his most definitive claim to deity on the back of the shepherd metaphor. And so this just really becomes powerful. What he was saying was, I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. This is who I am. And so that also struck me so hard because what I finally realized I could say is, Jesus is my shepherd. And I had never done that. I had I had always looked at that as just this generic, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, isn't that a nice, cute statement? But it's really, I got to see for the first time that this is this Jesus who we love for who he is and all that he is, he's my shepherd. And I, I had never made that real connection. I think some people have, but I had never really understood that to that depth. Wow, that's so good, John. Uh, you, you can you can just keep. You said you don't know if we have time, but man, <laughs> just just keep pouring it on because that's so good. That's so good and so helpful to to refocus. You had said um, that this is not a funeral psalm, um, but a way of life psalm. Mm. And um, can you maybe just speak to the listener who? Could be in a variety of places right now, and um, what what would you say? Um, not just who this is for, but what are some of the life circumstances, or what are some of the? Uh, could you just expound on who needs this psalm today? Mm, yeah, well, yeah, I I think somebody said, and I it was a really good quote. Um, it's a funeral psalm. Uh, really, because it actually prepares you for a funeral, <laughs> and and somebody has said, I, I think I've heard this too. You know, you're never really prepared to die, fully prepared to die, unless you're fully prepared to live, right? And so, uh, I think that's the understanding that you have here. If if he is your shepherd uh, in life, um, then then death is 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 nothing to to worry about. In fact. You know, David says that at the end, right? Um, so here's 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 my hope in this life. My hope in this life is not what's going to happen to me, but where the shepherd will be when it does happen to me. But my hope in death is who I get to be with. Mm. Now, 
we've never read it that way, right? I, I, again, um, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That certainly sounds geographical, yeah. right? That that's a place that he's going to live in, but it's not. And here's why. Look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27, we're pretty familiar with this. Um, David asks in verse 4 something very important. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord when? All the days of my life. So what in the world? What's he saying? He, in one sense, he, he said, when I die, when I, you know, for my forever, I want to be in the house of the Lord. But now here in, verse 20, in Psalm 27, he says, I want to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Well, when we understand that the house of the Lord was a, uh, a really a, a statement of the temple, mm. and for them, for David, the temple represented what? It's the presence mm. of God. It's where God dwells. And so what he's saying here is not about a place. <laughs> and again, that's our American, I think, Christianity, this idea, of, and, and it's not, it, it is a place. Yeah, but it, it's a state. Uh, it, it's it's a and and but more importantly, what David is really focusing around is not the benefits of the place. It's the satisfaction of the person that we get to live with now. This shepherd forever. We won't ever have these separations and these. We we won't have these tensions of this life anymore. We will be with the shepherd, hmm. and so. Man, if, if you're, whatever you're facing, I, again, it doesn't matter if it's a circumstance of this life that, that is challenging um, or a circumstance of, of impending death or, or all those kind of things, it, to get to dwell with our shepherd, that's, that's the goal. And that's where our satisfaction will be found. Yeah, this preparation work for those who are heading towards the valley, and this is um, a comfort for those who are in it. Yeah, I, I am convinced. I know in my own life, my con, I'm convinced that David would have loved to have understood verse one uh, when he was mm. twenty, and not had to learn some of it the hard way, mm. right? But he did. He learned some of it the hard way. That he had some wants that he tried to satisfy outside of the shepherd himself, and that you know, was disastrous for him. And so we all, we, whether it's we want our family to be together, we want, we want whatever the case may be, all of those things um, really take a back seat to wanting the shepherd. And that's what David learned. Um, that's what I continually need to learn <laughs> um, because I, 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 still, I still find myself finding my satisfaction or pursuing um, something other than just him himself. Let me let me pull the lens back out real quick, John. I, I think uh, I have just a question just about, it's more of a structural question. I think I've heard you mention how this psalm holds together with Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, and so I was just wondering if you could briefly speak to how Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 hold together. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating thing. And again, yeah, I didn't know if we'd have time to even dwell or to, to jump into that side. But, you know, we often talk, we, we really think context is important when we talk about Scripture, you know, and we, we talk about it in terms mostly in a particular passage where one verse 
um, becomes a pretext if we don't understand the context. But when it comes to the Psalms, we rarely think about context of the mm-hmm. Psalms themselves because it just, I don't know, they, they feel like they're individual to us and that they stand alone, that they're, they're, they're just individual. But in this case, Psalm 23 is actually sandwiched in between two other Psalms, and so it forms a trilogy that are Messianic Psalms. And so we know we categorize psalms in different ways, and a messianic psalm is one that particularly focuses on who and what the Messiah will be, and just aspects of that. And so when you look at Psalm 22 and 23 and 24 together, it starts to really round an amazing picture. Uh, psalm 22 shows us Christ the Redeemer, and, and we know this amazing psalm. In fact, I, I got to tell you guys, um, as, as I was working with some of our students at Peoria Rescue Ministries, uh, I, was, I was talking about this. And in Psalm 22, um, as you know, pictures, it, it's almost as if David is there at the crucifixion. When you read through Psalm 22 and see some of the highlights of, of what is happening, of course, it's, it's, it's uh, Jesus' very first words on the cross, right, as it starts, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And then it goes and it shows how uh, the scoffers are standing there and they're hurling insults and telling him, you know, just come down. You know, why, why, why don't you just come down? If you rely on the Lord, let the Lord save him. And this is exactly what the Pharisees said. And then it talks about how he's thirst and he, he can't, you know, he needs water. And then his enemies surround him like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me, verse 16. It says, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare and at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. And so it's this amazing picture and prophecy, right, of what happens on the cross. And when one of our students who didn't have a biblical background caught this idea that, holy cow, we're a thousand years away from the cross— and God just laid out. I mean, just gave us a, like a video of what what is happening, and and it just stunned him that this 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 is how we know the Bible's true, right? So, so anyway, Psalm twenty two is this amazing picture of Christ's work on the cross, written thousands of years before. Then Psalm twenty three is about Christ the King, and it starts off this uh, idea: the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. And so I say this, you know, to be, to, to accomplish his, uh, uh, his work of redemption and his shepherding, he had to be king. That's the only way it works. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I say this, I love, I like shepherding things. I like shepherding Jolene, you know, as my, as, that's my role as a husband. But the frank reality of it is I can't shepherd her completely fully because I don't know the future. I don't know what, and I don't often know her deepest needs. I really, you know, I try, but I don't know that. And even if I did, I can't control the circumstances. But this shepherd can, Jesus can, because he's king. (laughs) So what I say is Psalm 22 takes care of our yesterday. Psalm 23 takes care of our today. And Psalm 24 takes care of our tomorrow. 
in eternity because he is king over all things. And so for me, that that's why there's so much meaning packed into the very first phrase of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, because of what 22 and 24 help us understand. So yeah, the context is a fascinating thing of Psalm 23. I love that. The Lord is my shepherd yesterday. The Lord is my shepherd today. The Lord is my shepherd tomorrow. Yeah. That's yeah. great. So. Well, um, maybe another question would just be resources. Mm. You mentioned uh, some sort of classic on Psalm twenty-three, and and it just made me think. Oh, I wonder yeah. what else. What else you? Yeah, Philip Keller um, is the classic again. It's uh, I think it's uh, Shepherd looks at the twenty-third Psalm. Um, there's another one that was written uh, not too long ago by Lon Solomon. Solomon is uh, it was the uh, pastor of McLean Bible Church, where now David Platt is, mm-hmm. and he wrote um, a book. I think it's called the twenty uh, a twenty first sent uh, a twenty first century look at the twenty third Psalm, and um, and he just got some great insights. A, a lot of what I uh, learned, I, I he was he's been terrific at at at, at some of the understanding. Uh, Haddon Robinson also has a um, uh, commentary on Psalm 23. Um, and then Robert Morgan. Um, Robert Morgan, uh, he's got such a pastor's heart and and a way with um, uh, just insight and words. So those are the, the four guys that I would definitely recommend if you want to get a deeper read. It's They do a great job. We'll put links to some of those in our show notes just yeah. for people who want to maybe check those out. And yeah. Yeah. Which one stands out if people were to look at one? You know, I think um, uh, Lon Solomon's is a contemporary read. Um, maybe start there. And then and then for a pastoral perspective, I would do Robert Morgan's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they pull enough from Keller. Um, again, Keller has this perspective because he was a shepherd. And so, and a pastor, he was both, and so he brings some of that. Um, but both of those guys almost reference him in, and so I would say Lon Solomon's book and okay. and Robert Morgan would be two great reads. Well, uh, I have a verse I'd like to end uh. us with: um, the doxology from the Book of Jude. Hmm. We could end there. So, uh, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. What a shepherd.